Welcome to the Joys of Binge Reading, the show for anyone who ever got to the end of a great book and wanted to read the next instalment. We interview successful series authors and recommend the best in mystery, suspense, historical and romance series, so you'll never be without a book you can't put down. You'll find this episode's show notes, a free ebook, and lots more information at thejoysofbingereading.com. And now, here's our show. Susan Shea won a writing contest and her prize, a year's membership to the California chapter of Mystery Writers of America, convinced her that published mystery writers were such lively, offbeat people, she'd like to be one too. Fast forward to today and Susan works at two different mystery series, one set in the glitzy San Francisco art world and the other in an out-of-the-way French village. Hi there, I'm your host Jenny Wheeler and today Susan explains why creating mysteries is rather similar to composing songs and how writing what you know worked for her. But before we talk to Susan, just a reminder that the show notes for this binge reading episode can be found on the website thejoysofbingereading.com. That's where you'll find a full transcript of our chat, plus links to Susan's books and website, as well as details about how to subscribe to the podcast so you don't miss future episodes. But now, here's Susan. Hello there, Susan, and welcome to the show. It's great to have you with us. Thank you, Jenny. I'm really honored that you asked me to be part of your show. It's a wonderful podcast. I've been listening to some of the authors you've interviewed already, and uh, have lively, uh, sparkling interviews. Oh, thank you. It's uh, You just meet such wonderful people. And this idea that writers are introverts, I'm not sure. Well, I know that some are, but if they get the chance to talk, perhaps in the privacy of their own offices, they sort of very quickly open up and tell you some wonderful stories, you know. So, yeah. But look, beginning at the beginning, was there a once upon a time moment when you decided that you wanted to write fiction? And if so, was there a catalyst for it? Yes, there was, actually. Um, I won a writing contest a long time ago, and the prize was a year's membership in Mystery Writers of America. I was living in San Francisco, and I went started going to the San Francisco meetings, and I met all these wonderful people, lively, curious, bright, a little offbeat, who were uh, published mystery writers. And I would go every month to the dinner and schmooze and became friends with some of those people who are still my friends. And I thought, well, shoot, um, I'd like to do this too. Fantastic. So you just sat down and started writing? <laughs> well, sure I did. But I was also raising kids and working full time. And that's easier said than done to sit down and start writing. I had a lot of false starts, um, but I kept being encouraged by the members of Mystery Writers in the local chapter who said, persevere, persevere, don't give up, keep writing, keep reading. Uh, and I, I, it sort of gestated for me for a long time before I actually decided to take the plunge, quit my day job, and start writing full-time. Great. And so you were naturally drawn to the mystery genre, it sounds like, right from the beginning? Yes, I, I, I really was. Um, 
I think one of the things I like about mysteries is that there is a structure and there's an expectation. Uh, it's sort of like listening to a piece of music where you know where the bridges are, you know where the verses are, you know where the choruses are, and there's a kind of pleasure in the rhythm of that, and that appealed to me both as a reader and as a writer. That's a great analogy. I'd never thought of it that way, but it is a very good way to look at it. So you've now got two different mystery series on the go, I think. One set in a picturesque French village in Burgundy, and the other in a prestigious um, San Francisco Art and Antiquities Museum. How did you get going on those series? Well, the the Danny O'Rourke series set in a, a museum in San Francisco was the first one I did. And I had for a long time been debating how to structure a story and who my protagonist was going to be. But I had been a fundraiser. Uh, not for an art museum, but for nonprofits. And I also have a deep, lifelong passion for visual arts. And I kept avoiding that as being who would be interested in what a fundraiser does. Come on. And so I, I had another career as a journalist, and I tried to write a story about a journalist, but that had been done many times. And I I tried other varieties. I tried to write this a story about a woman cop in San Francisco, but I wasn't a woman cop and I, it didn't feel right. And eventually I was having lunch with someone who was another writer and bemoaning the fact that I couldn't figure out how to get into my stories. And he said, well, write about being a fundraiser. And I said, oh, no one would be interested in that. And Tom said, sure they would. Nobody's writing that. Go ahead and do that. So that was my that was the key that unlocked my Danny O'Rourke series. Yeah, and I, I mean, I must say that I found the the fundraising part of it because it so obviously is well-informed. Um, you learn something about what fundraisers do as well as get the story. So I, it, it was very, very convincing to me that, that you really knew your stuff when it came to fundraising. And that made it, you know, it gave the book a, a sort of weight that it might not have otherwise had. So... I guess it is that old thing of writing what you know, isn't it? It is. Thank you. Um, I, it really is. And to have faith that the, that what seems to you, the person doing it, to be kind of ordinary to other people is not. And I'm, I'm reminded when people say, I don't know how you could write a whole book. Well, you don't know how you can fly a plane. I don't know how you can wait on tables at a busy, busy restaurant. I'm impressed with all the things I don't know about. And so it occurred, it occurs to me that those of us who have careers that seem not to be exciting still have something that we can share with other people. Sure. And, and the setting of the prestigious um, museum, it, it gives it a certain kind of, um, you know, celebrity factor as well, which is always fun, just a little bit of glitz. And, and all those rich people. And all those rich people, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> and then, of course, there's lots of wonderful sort of romance, romance connected with a Burgundy village. Um, mm. and, and your heroine there, Catherine, she just wants to be accepted by the villagers. She's this uh, sort of uh, expat American wanting to live French. And 
struggling a little bit with it because they're all, well, not all of them, but many of them are, are rather snobby about letting visitors in. What made you decide on that setting, apart from perhaps an excuse to go to France? Well, actually, the stories that Catherine herself uh, and her fictional husband, Michael, are inspired by two real people, dear friends of mine, Americans who did throw everything up and move to France to a small village. And it was when I was visiting them there uh, that I got the inspiration for the story because, in fact, this tiny, tiny crossroads village that they were living in um, had enough uh, social striations. You know, there were only, it might have been 55 families in the village, but my goodness, they had their social lives and their histories all worked out. And then there wasn't much place for my friends. It, took, it did take them a while uh, to settle in, although they became um, very well liked by the people in the village eventually. Sure. And Catherine is an artist. So just do, do you, have you ever liked the idea of painting yourself? No, I am. I, I, well, I, I guess I did because I was a, um, an art major when I was in college for two years. But my real love was, got the best of me and that was English. Um, but my my late partner was an artist. He was a, a, a well-known artist. And I've been interested in art since I was a very young child. So to me, that's sort of a natural thing. And the woman who's the inspiration for Catherine is herself an artist. Yeah, yes, yes. From your website, it's clear that you are quite in love with things French. Um, did the love affair come first and the book second or the other way around? Mm, that's a chicken and egg question. I'm not quite sure. Um, I do love France uh, and and many different parts of France because, you know, I eventually I started with Paris and that was wonderful and went to the south of France to visit and that was wonderful and have been to the Camargue and to Provence, uh, not everywhere in France. But the, where I chose to set my story um, based on my French location is a very rural, quiet, untouristy part of France. And uh, for people who love wine, Burgundy is a, just a great resource. And for people who love medieval history uh, and medieval art, it's an absolutely essential part of the history of France. Um, but I like, I do, I like all things French. I like the French people. Um, I like the art and the architecture. I like the the fact that the French are a living, um, they haven't been overcome by tourism is what I'm trying to say. It's still a living country, as we all know, working through all kinds of modern dilemmas. And I think that adds a vibrancy to the people and the place um, that can get lost when, when uh, an area becomes too overcome with tourism as its main you know, point of, of reference. Yeah, sure, sure. So these books are traditionally published, aren't, are they? Or are you self-publishing? I wasn't quite sure of that. Right. Actually, um, the, yes, the, the French books are, are, are published by St. Martin's Minotaur, which is one of the Macmillan imprints. Um, the first series has was had a kind of... Um, abandoned child version it started being published it's all all 
traditionally published, but it started being published by uh, a publisher that then sold its entire, went out of business, not went out of business, retired, sold the entire imprint to Amazon. So Amazon had them for a while. And then a small publisher wanted to publish one of them. And then, I mean, just sort of went all over the map. So the first series, the three Dannys, are now being published by Reputation Books, um, which picked up the whole three-book series at this point. Um, but it's but they've been all over the map. The second one's much more straightforward. And are both of them still continuing, like you're publishing book, new books in both series? Well, I'm hoping to uh, – I've got a new book coming out in the French series that comes out May 1st. I'm very excited about that. Um, it's back in this little village, but it's winter rather than summer. Uh, and uh, it's uh, it, the book is called Dressed for Death in Burgundy. And uh, there is a murder that takes place at a costume museum, which gives the book its title. Um, and I have more ideas for the Danny series. I'd really like to uh, go back and visit that one. And I certainly have more plans for the French series. But I have an agent who wants me to branch out and try something new. Aha. Uh-huh. We'll, we'll get to that when we talk about where you're going in the future. But have, have you ever been tempted to try romance? I mean, it is just such a popular genre for women readers. Um, and I know there is a little bit of romance in, in, your, in your books, but it's focused more on the mystery than the romance. What made you decide to not go the romance route? Um, Quite honestly, Jenny, I never considered going there, going to writing romance. I, I've never read romances, so I don't really know very much about them. I think a certain amount of romance and love. I mean, the first book in the French series is Love and Death in Burgundy, and it's really about all kinds of love, romantic love and parental love, uh, love of country, you know, uh, just all kinds of love. And that to me is more... Uh, is is a richer field for me than just romance. Moving to a more general focus on your career away from the specific books, is there one thing you've done in your writing career more than any other that's been the secret to your success? Well, <laughs> in as much success as I've had, which is not as great as many of my friends and colleagues, I think... Um, I would say not giving up, uh, not that I, I had a, I had a relatively easy time once I had a book ready, but getting the book ready and, and working really hard to make sure that the book was ready to go. I had attended some conferences where agents speaking to audiences said, look, make sure your book is perfect, as perfect as you can make it before you send it off. Don't don't send something off with the notion as well. When I get an agent, I can fix that. I mean, never do that. And I think taking that to heart may have helped me because by the time I had my first man- Danny manuscript ready to go, Murder in the Abstract, it was it was ready to go. And the agent who p- took me on said, "This is great. This does not need work from me." And the publisher who bought it bought it immediately and said, "This is good. We have very little to say about it." And I think that helped get me off to a good start. That's great because it could actually also have the opposite effect and make you freeze like Q 
keep on and on and on making changes and revisions and never really feeling that it was quite good enough. Oh, you're quite right, Jenny. That's probably what I'd do. <laughs> well, it gets to a point where you're beginning to make changes that aren't better. They're just different. Yes. You know? Yeah. And you have to know, you have to kind of know it's the same way with artists. They have to know when to stop when the work is done. And yes. uh, I think maybe that the more you, well, the more a person reads uh, in the genre, especially, but the more you read, I've, like you probably, I've been a voracious reader since childhood. And I guess that's, I would say that's my, was my best education. Sure, sure. Look, if you were going to take your readers on a magical mystery tour of your books, where would you advise them to go? Now, I'm thinking in terms of if your readers wanted to follow in the footsteps of your heroines, Catherine and Dani, where would they hang out? Mm. Well, let me start with my French series, Catherine Catherine would go to, um, she lives in a tiny village. She would go to another tiny village that's rather famous nearby called Noyer-sur-Seren, which is a medieval village with a castle keep and beautiful castle walls and cobblestone streets and a few, a wonderful restaurant, Millesimes. And um, she would she would hang out there because there are places to have coffee and meet people. Um, in the little town of Noyer, there are these wonderful potters, Claire and Andy, and they have a, um, they make these beautiful tiles and, and beautiful cups and things like that. And it's always great fun to visit them. She's, Eng she's French and he's English. And so you can, even if you're not a good French speaker and I'm not, um, you can always chat with them. So the little villages and driving through the countryside, maybe driving all the way down to Bone where that famous uh, hospital, a, a medieval hospital was, and there's a painting there that's famous. Um, uh, there are just, it's a country setting. And so that that's what basically what Catherine would do. And the one good thing to keep in mind, as my friend learned when they moved there, is they were 20 minutes from a railroad station to get a fast TGV train up to Paris. So if you wanted a hit of the city, it really wasn't that far away. That's great. We'll have to get put the... Um the the, na the names in the show notes and you'll have to help me spell those because I'm Noyer I'm not quite sure how how to spell that we'll we'll come to that later and what about Danny in San Francisco well um, Danny lives as I have been fortunate and to live in one of these lively places that is beautiful physically with the Pacific Ocean and the Golden Gate Bridge and the and the bay. And the, and the hills and so on, as you, I mean, you know, you're in Australia and you have beautiful, beautiful ocean views in your cities too. And one of the things that San Francisco is great, is, is really fun to explore and that Danny does in her books, in her stories, is all the ethnic neighborhoods um, because they have food, they have uh, things you can buy that are fun. So she would be likely to go to the Mission District, for example, for great Mexican uh, and Central American food, and to look at the murals. Um, there are some there there are famous murals uh, up in the Mission District uh, by by well known Hispanic artists, and there the 
There are online tours that you can, self-guided tours you can take. They're very worth a visit. So she would do that, and I'll tell you what she would do now. She would go to the new San Francisco Museum of Modern Art because they have opened a spectacular 11-story addition that houses some of the most wonderful contemporary uh, American and European uh, art that anywhere. It's all of a sudden turned San Francisco's modern museum into a world-class institution. It's really five-star. That sounds fabulous. Tell me, what do readers like most about your books? What do they tell you they like about your books? The feedback I get suggests that it's the sen- it's the specific- specificity of it that, that people like. They like the fact that Danny has a real job and that they understand what it is and that, um, that the art, uh, the description of the art and the 20, 21st century uh, secondary art market, which is to say the auction market, um, is and how it's gotten so completely out of control and how it's vulnerable to all kinds of crime uh, is really interesting and, and a learning experience. So people enjoy that. And in the French books, of course, the people who love France enjoy schmoozing about it. Um, they, they, people come up after book events and they want to tell me about their favorite little cafe that they've gone to or you know, a tiny little museum that they discovered and they wonder if I know about. So people who love exploring France find a lot in there that fits with their own experience of off-the-beaten-path tourism in, in France. Oh, that's great. And, and what would you say your biggest challenge is as a mystery novelist? If I'm being really honest, I think that the challenge is fi- trying to find a, my audience in a very crowded field with uh, enormous numbers of new books being released, whether they're traditionally published, uh, small press published, or self-published. We are in a very um, crowded, uh, when I say noisy, I don't mean that negative. I just mean that there are so many books people have to choose among. And trying to find your own audience uh, in a time like this in the publication world is really um, a difficult thing, which is why I'm so uh, honored that you chose to interview me for your podcast. It gives me, I hope, a chance to meet a few more people who would be interested in my books. Yes, absolutely. I mean, mystery has grown as a, as a genre as well, hasn't it? I mean, uh, there's, there's just such a wealth of, of good mystery writers out there these days. It's quite amazing when you start to look around. Yeah, it really is. I'm, I'm, I'm amazed too. I'm, I am just, uh, there are so many writers that I like um, to read myself. Yeah. You mentioned right at the beginning the importance that that writer community had in getting you started. And You've given back to that community yourself. I see that you're active in writers' groups like Sisters in Crime. Tell me a little bit about that community and and what they did give to you. Well, I have, yes, I've been on the, I was on the board of MWA, Mr. Writers of America, uh, San Francisco, uh, Northern California, rather, and and I chaired the local board of Sisters in Crime, and then I joined the national board of Sisters in Crime. Um, Specifically, Sisters in Crime was formed about 30 years ago because a lot of 
women who were writing mysteries, and there weren't that many of them, were finding it very hard to get published, very hard to get reviewed, very hard to get carried in bookstores. The assumption was that there weren't that many people who would be interested in, in what women were writing, which, of course, was totally false. And look at the change in 30 years. Um, so I like being involved in Sisters because it's a way to make sure that we move towards parity, that we have an equal shot at getting uh, published and reviewed and finding our audiences. Um, and I also... I like to encourage other writers specifically, so I like I like the chance to meet women, men, and we call them misters and sisters, sisters and misters, um, because men are certainly allowed to join and welcome to join as long as they uh, adhere to the mission, which is supporting the parity of women writers in the mystery field. But it's it's fun to be involved in writers' organizations. You have a chance to meet people. You mentioned that sometimes we're introverts. I think we are. We sit in front of our keyboards for a long time, but when we come out, we, we, we need a little nudge to uh, get to meet people. And I think these writers' organizations and the writers' conferences and conventions can really be a way for us to find other people who are, will encourage us and support us as we get to encourage and support them. And do you think that women have reached parity in the, in the field now? Well, as far as the writing, as far as being published, uh, it, it would appear so, yes. We're, we're in very strong con- shape. Our ability to be reviewed by the major review sites is not quite 50-50 yet. Um, it tends to hover below that and sometimes be a little drop a little bit more than that. And Sisters in Crime does an informal monitoring, but not something that's so database that we could produce reports that would, you know, make it into the newspapers. But we tend not to be reviewed. I was thrilled to be reviewed by the New York Times last year. Um, so I, I mean, I think that's really great. It doesn't always happen. Uh, but we're very pleased to get that attention for women writers. And I think it's much, much better than it was 30 years ago. Yeah, yeah. Gosh, getting reviewed by the New York Times sounds pretty up there to me. (laughs) Well, it was a shock to me too. (laughs) Look, turning to Susan as reader, this series is called The Joys of Binge Reading because I see it as providing inspiration for people who like to read series and that's become much more of a thing with the Netflix, the so-called Netflix generation. People get into binge watching and then they just like to do the binge reading as well. I, I, I hear you saying that you've always been a, a passionate reader. Have you binge read in the past? And if so, who are some of your favorite authors that you like to binge read, authors or series? This is the question I was waiting for you to ask me. <laughs> <laughs> really, um, I'll just very briefly mention two older style series that I got started on and that really inspired me to think, well, shoot, I'm, I'm going to try this myself. One was um, my favorite, Rex Stout, his Nero Wolf series. And I know that they're uh, somewhat dated as far as their attitudes towards women and so on, but the characters were well-drawn and they're snapped along, and the plots really are very interesting. I've gone back to reread some of them because I think they're very, very clever plots. So that was an early 
uh, early one of mine, and and I would just you know uh, say that the, that 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 was a while ago, and you can still do it if you haven't read Rex uh, if you haven't read Rex Stout's Mira Wolf series. They're still in print, all of them. Um, but closer to this time, I. It's really hard to choose, but I was thinking about this, and I, I would recommend if people haven't read Jackie Winspear, Jacqueline Winspear, her Maisie Dobbs series is a lot of fun, and it's a good one to read from the beginning to understand how Maisie Dobbs comes in and as a comes out of World War One uh, as a nurse and winds up becoming a private investigator, and it's it's really enjoyable. They're they're. Uh, contemporary written um, and Jackie in fact lives in the same county that I do she's a wonderful writer um, but they're very atmospheric they're about England in uh, 1920 now all the way up through Europe in 19, 19 late 1930s as World War II looms and becomes real for the English another favorite of mine is Deborah Crombie she has the Duncan Kincaid and Gemma Jane's uh, series that and Deb lives in Texas but sets her series in London and they're very very good she's got 20 books I think now so there's a lot to binge on and you watch these two people these two investigators as they develop their expertise develop their relationship uh, eventually begin to build an extended family and it's a real joy because you have the real crime fiction on one side the London setting, which is very specific. And then you have this, um, their personal lives changing. And another I would recommend highly, if you, if you're, some of your listeners haven't heard of him, is Tim Hallinan. He has two series, and they're both good. But the one I love, love, love is the Poke Rafferty uh, series. They're set in Thailand. Poke Rafferty is an Englishman who um, is, has done some PR and some other things. But basically, this is the story of his life uh, adjusting to being in Thailand about uh, a woman he befriends and falls in love with and about uh, the corruption in Bangkok and how he deals with it. And there are scary, scary scenes. There are wonderful, loving scenes. Uh, Tim is a very loving person. And he writes about um, his characters and the children in their lives in a way that is just so touching. Um, uh, and, and those of us who are fans of his are really rabid fans. I haven't heard of either Deborah or Tim, so I'll be delighted to look them up. And, and uh, th that's a great recommendation. I'm sure others will be interested as well. We're coming to the end of our time, Susan, and just circling back to the beginning at this stage in your career, if you were doing it all again, when you look back and then forwards again, what would you change, if anything? Well, you, I heard Jennifer say this on your show very recently. I'd start earlier. I'd, I'd trust myself and uh, go into the full-time writing earlier and get a faster start or an earlier start. Um that's I, I won't say that the time was wasted. I certainly liked what I did in my in my other careers. But um, now that I'm in this one, I'm, you know, I'm wishing I could just write, write, write. Yes, you're wanting to make up for lost time. Yeah. So what is next for Susan, the writer? You mentioned there might be a new series in the works. Um, 
what what are your plans for the next year or so? Well, I um, got a, a changed agents last year, and my new agent surprised me with a challenge. She feels that I should try uh, writing a novel that doesn't necessarily fall into the mystery genre. Um, she feels that my stories are novels that have mysteries in them. And I have not, you know, considered that before. But she and I have talked about a couple of ideas, and I'm now working on one of them, which requires some research because it's set in a recent history, but history. Um, so it's really, it is kind of a challenge, and I gulp periodically wondering if I'm up to it. Uh, and at the same time, I want to go back and, you know, write another French book and write another Danny book. So I'm getting very greedy, Jenny, I must admit. <laughs> so this new one, is there a particular genre that you could describe it as fitting into? Well, I think it would be commercial fiction. Um, yes. No, if you have you, I don't know if you know Reese um, Bowen. She, yes, yes, I do. Okay. Yeah. Well, Reese wrote, Reese is a dear friend of mine, and she wrote a book uh, that just zoomed to the bestseller list uh, called In Farley Field. Um, and it was a bit of a break for her from her uh, three series that she's written. And uh, the uh, and it's more commercial fiction. There is some mystery in it. It's set in England um, before World War II uh, when the, uh, the country was coping with some strong right-wing um, support and also... Uh, feeling that it had to gear up for the war. And it, it's just, it's a wonderful book in Farley Field. Um, and it's commercial fiction rather than a mystery. And that's, I would say that's kind of where m my book would be placed. Great, great. But first I have to write it. <laughs> <laughs> and and being historical would also be just a slight change, wouldn't it? It would, it is, and um, and it requires me to do research. And one of the things I'm learning, I've never had to do serious serious period research before, is you can get lost in the byways of research awfully quickly. It's so much fun. Um, so that's what I'm I'm trying to avoid at the moment. It's going down those those Google holes. Yeah, yes, it is, Jenny. That's exactly right. <laughs> Well, look, it's been delightful talking to you, Susan. Our time is at an end. Where can readers find you online? Well, I have a Facebook author page, Susan C. Shea, author. Um, and I'm delighted to meet people there. And uh, I post uh, information and, you know, little bits and pieces. I have my own website, which, as you pointed out, has an All Things France page, which is fun to update and which I'm going to be updating soon. And that's SusanCShea.com. I do have a Pinterest page, um, and I and I try to post a, uh, a new um, set of pins based on each book. And I'm just about to start doing that for the book that's coming out May 1st. So there'll be a new set of uh, wonderful costume photographs from a costume museum in in Burgundy that I put up with for Dressed for Death with in Burgundy. Well, that sounds like real fun. Well, look, thank you so much. It's been a delight to talk. It really has. And wishing you all the very best with these new ventures. Thank you, Jenny. It's been a real pleasure to meet you and talk with you. Okay, then. All the best, dear. 
Thanks for listening to the Joys of Binge Reading podcast. You can find all the details and links for this episode at www.thejoysofbingereading.com. We'd love to hear your comments and suggestions for who you'd like us to interview next. And if you enjoyed the show, take a moment to subscribe on iTunes or a similar provider so you won't miss out on future guests. Thanks for joining us and happy reading. The Joys of Binge Reading podcast is put together with fantastic technical help from Dan Cotton and Abe Raffles. Dan is an experienced sound and video engineer who's ready and available to help you with your next project. Seek him out at dcaudioservices at gmail.com. That's D for Daniel, C for Charlie, audio services at gmail.com or check our show notes. He's fast, he takes pride in getting it right and he's great to work with. Our voiceovers are done by Abe Raffles, another gem of sound and screen. Abe has 20 years of experience on both sides of the camera slash microphone. As a cameraman director and also as a voice artist and TV presenter. I think you'd agree that his voice is both light-hearted and warm. He is super easy to work with no matter what the job. You'll find him at Abe, A-B-E, at pointandshoot.co.nz. As I say, the full details in the show notes on the website. That's it for now. Thanks for listening. Hopefully see you next week. Bye.